This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Saved by grace, but you know you can't kill someone. Do you have a conscience about that? When you lie, when you steal? Yes. So you're not free from that. There lies in danger for Christians and for Antominian Christians when we take advantage of God's grace. And so saints, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Paul says, certainly not. Verse 2, how shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Due to our sinful nature, we have a natural inclination to take portions of God's Word and distort them to benefit the flesh. Perhaps one of the more common results of distorting God's Word is the idea that Christians have a free license to sin. In today's message, Pastor Eddie warns us of the dangers of taking advantage of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. In our study, we learn that just because we've been set free from the law, it doesn't mean we have free license to sin as believers. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in Romans chapter 6 for today's edition of Running the Race. Chapter 6 opens up with a question. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We have this amazing grace. And so what he's saying is, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? I need more of God's grace, so maybe if I sin more, he'll give me more grace? So should I sin more in order to get the grace? You see, Paul knew that. So Paul knew that there are some Christians, even there's some Christians today who take the truth And even something as simple as this, they take advantage of God's grace, abundance grace, as if it's a license to sin and keep on sinning. And that's the problem. That's where Christians are hurting themselves today. And throughout church history, they hurt themselves because they think it's a license to keep on sinning when they've been saved from sin. Some will say, well, then, the the more I sin, the more God's grace will abound, So it's okay for me to keep on sinning because I have this abundant grace. God will forgive me. In fact, my sin will make God look good. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul answers the question in verse 2. Certainly not. A strong phrase translated, perish the thought. Perish the thought. In a modern translation, of course not. Now, this is very important because in this area of scriptures, we need to understand uh, this this comes as a warning and out of love because, again, this is where many of us fall. Now, the danger of simply preaching and teaching salvation by grace alone, hear me carefully, the danger of simply teaching and preaching only saved by grace alone can be misinterpreted as a license to sin. Or to freely do whatever we want because we're saved from sin. We're saved. We're not 
held responsible for the law. Yes, there is grace. But one of the, if not the greatest problems in Christian today is that many Christians today are taking advantage of God's grace. They take advantage of God's grace. And there's a general name for such Christians. Hopefully this morning you don't fall into this. The name is a word. Antominianism is a general name for the view that Christians are by grace set free from the need of observing any moral law. Now, you know that fits a lot of Christians today. You know. And, you know, man, have I fed it. I was an Antominian. Mini Antominian. <laughs> it kind of goes together with the miniism. Mini, mini, you know, it kind of rhymes. <laughs> An Antominian Christian would say, I have been saved by grace, so I never have to be concerned in the slightest about obeying the law. An Antominian Christian will say, the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, the law, has no binding influence on my conscience. Now, you know that's not true. We're not held by the law. We're saved by grace. But you know you can't kill someone. Do you have a conscience about that when you lie, when you steal? Yes. So you're not free from that. There lies in danger for Christians and for Antominian Christians when we take advantage of God's grace. And so saints, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Paul says, certainly not. Verse 2, how shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or how should we remain in sin? Or how do we live for it, for sin? You've been saved from that. If I am still living in sin, in filth, in corruption of my old life, if I am taking advantage of God's grace for my sinful way of life, then I'm only deceiving myself. Certainly not. So Paul asked the other question, how can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Notice who or what died here. Sin, did sin die? No, sin didn't die. We died to sin. Sin is alive and well. And we are not free from that battle. We never will be free until we stand in glory before God. So we'll always have the battle. We died to sin. If we die to sin, then sin has no power over us. We are no longer under the bondage of sin, and sin has no dominion over us. Look down to verse 14. In verse 14, Paul writes, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under what? Grace. You're under grace. Yes, your new life in Christ. You died to sin. You and I came to Christ. When we came to Christ, we became a new creation, a new creation. Our new life in Christ has brought death to the old life. We have died to the old life. You remember Paul gave us that illustration in chapter 5. In Adam, what happened with Adam? Because of Adam, we all die. But because of one man, Jesus, we all have life, eternal life. And so one man brought death. One man brought life. 
Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you gave your life to Christ, when you surrender your life, you became born again, you are a new creation. Now, when you look at Eddie, you say, Eddie, when you gave your life to Christ, what was new with you? It's a working within the life. It's a new, I mean, I, I was born in the flesh, but now through Christ, I'm born in the spirit. There's a new birth in me, and it's a spiritual birth. That is new. And because of that spiritual birth that died in the garden, that I inherited from one man, Adam, is now in life through Christ. I am a new creation. I just get the joy of hearing people who, uh, when they give their testimony and how they gave their life to the Lord, especially from the ones that have been in the Lord for 10 or 20 years. It's like, wow, they gave their life to the Lord yesterday. They can remember the first beginning when they gave their lives to the Lord. I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. You know, we could change faces and go get plastic surgery and change all kinds of things, and I could try to do something to not lose any more of my hair but we, to change a heart, to change life is, is very difficult. And that's what's new. We have a new life in Christ. We are dead to the old. The old you, the old me was crucified with Christ. So before the cross, we were dead in sin. Before the cross, before Jesus, before we surrender our life, before becoming a new creation, before the cross, you and I were dead to sin. We were living in sin. Now we're no longer dead, dying in sin. We are dead to sin. We were dead in sin, and through Christ, we were dead to sin. So does this mean us as Christians, we have this new life in Christ? Does it mean that we don't sin at all? I'm going to say what Paul says, certainly not. That doesn't mean we don't sin. We as Christians are are not free from the battle of sin. And when we get to chapter 7, Paul will explain that a little bit more in detail. But we're not free from it. It doesn't mean we don't sin. John the apostle, John the disciple of Christ, he was the only disciple of all disciples that died of unnatural causes. The Lord, he's the only one that wasn't martyred. He lived a long life to close to be 100 and he was able to what? To witness third generation Christians. And during that time, he wrote the epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, not the gospel of John. And in 1 John, he writes this. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he writes, for if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's writing to Christians. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But here's what verse 10. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. That's serious words. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. We make him a liar. I don't know if you were ever raised, your mother say, don't even call someone a liar. John is serious here. First, if you say you don't sin, you deceive yourself, number one. Number two, you're calling God a liar. You don't want to call God a liar, Christian. So that means you sin, right? Yes, we all do. We all boil all the time. You know? And again, I always say, if you don't believe me, go ask who? My wife. Who knows better than my wife that I blow it all the time? 
my wife said, listen, don't be deceived. Even that because somebody's in the pulpit pastor or they have a title of a pastor, bishop, doctor, bishop, doctor, arch, archbishop, it doesn't matter what the title is. They are just like you and I. We all blow it every now and then. No one is perfect. Don't be fooled. And don't ever think, I try to be as transparent as I can. Don't ever think that I think I'm better than you. I'm not. All of us, we blow it. Bad attitudes. You know, we, we have bad thoughts. We don't do the things we should be doing, you know. And Paul's going to talk about that, right? The things that I want to do, uh, I don't do. The things that I should do, I don't do. And the things I should not do, I do. <laughs> this is Paul. So we all sin. We all blow it. So do we sin? Absolutely. However, we no longer live in sin. That's the difference. We no longer as Christians live in sin. We sin, but we don't live in sin. And here it is. We don't practice sin. John continued to write in his letter in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. He writes, whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, speaking of God, remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, people would take this verse and say, well, listen, I don't sin. No, my sin's forgiven. I don't sin. You know, why even, you know, God, I don't sin. You're lying. <laughs> You're calling God a liar. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation, the same verse. In the New Living Translation in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, this is what it says. Those who have been born into God's family do not make it a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they cannot keep on sinning because they are children of God. So the word is practice. We don't practice sin. When the scripture says that a Christian don't sin, say we don't practice it. We no longer live in it. Here's another one. In John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, John writes, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Again, let me give that same verse to you in the New Living Translation. New Living Translation, chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. So the thing is, as Christians, we don't, that's not our life anymore. We repent. We use that word repent. I'm not talking about those fanatic, crazy guys downtown with a sign say repent. And, you know, they don't give why they need to repent. I'm talking about repent. The word means to turn around, change your life around. And when we turn around, we have died to sin. We no longer practice it. We no longer practice it. So you get the idea. Christians, we do sin, but we don't practice sin. We don't live in sin. Now, if you do practice sin... Same sin over and over again. You think it's a license to do whatever you want. Then you need to reevaluate and reexamine your relationship with God. How serious is your relationship with God that you have no care in the world, that you're offending God in your sin? That's where Christians fall short all the time. Again, we take advantage of God's grace. We think it's a license for us to do whatever we want. And now you're just really destroying your relationship with God. And this is not to get into the thought where the Calvinistic thought, oh, well, maybe that person wasn't saved. Maybe that person wasn't chosen. I don't believe in that. I don't want to get into that now. You know my thoughts and views on that. And I'm not hyper-Calvinistic. I believe that, 
you know, God forbid that any should perish. I don't think people are predestined to go to hell or predestined to go to heaven. But what happens is when we continue, we need to reexamine our relationship with God, reevaluate everything that we live for. And if we are still practicing sin, you know, Paul's asking us, you know, we die to that. Why are you still living in it? How can we live any longer in sin? So now what Paul's going to do now in the next couple of verses, Paul is going to illustrate this new life that we have in Christ, the new life that we have in Christ, and he's going to illustrate this through water baptism in the following verses. And water baptism for us believers is identification, how we identify with Christ. We identify with his death. We identify with his burial. We identify with his resurrection. And he's going to bring that illustration to, to, uh, for us to understand about this life that we have now. Now, the baptism, we know that it was universally practiced in the early church. And so Paul, he's writing a letter. He, he's assuming they understand the doctrine of baptism. Because first of all, some of them, or may, maybe all of them, were all Jews. And if they were Jews, they knew about full immersion in the water. They knew about being immersed in water because it was for them to be ceremonially clean for some of the rituals that they've done in Judaism. But also, they understood for those who were Gentiles who wanted to practice Judaism, wanted to convert to Judaism, they too had to be immersed in water. And it was a full immersion, complete body. And so when you go to Israel, you find a lot of uh, the archaeologists have discovered some of these bath rituals where they would have steps on one side, steps on the other, where they would come in because you couldn't, you couldn't come out the same way you went in. You know, you came in, went in one way, went out the other. And so... Paul knows that they understood this uh, water baptism being ceremonially clean. And so uh, in some of the verses, you're going to see the repetition of the words in verse, uh, like for know or knowing in verses 6, 3, 6, and 9. And then the word reckoning in verse 11. And again, that's because Paul is recalling uh, to their understanding the basic doctrine of this truth of baptism. And so let's look at verse 3. He says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so as Paul addressed the early believers of Rome, he addressed them to you, he addresses to them, he is addressing to us. When we were baptized, when you were baptized after you've given and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death. And so baptism, as we, we've been uh, in many of our studies before, or we, have a little, we have a baptism every year. Uh, we give a little study so you can have an understanding of what baptism really is because a lot of people uh, have no understanding of what baptism is. In many denominations, they have different teachings without you actually looking at Scripture to find out what the Bible has to say about baptism. And so... Paul knew that they had an understanding of what this meant. This was an identification with Christ, and it symbolizes uh, our relationship with him. And so many people think it was necessary for salvation. You don't need to be, you know, in order to be saved, you don't need to be baptized. We are baptized out of obedience to identify with Christ. There are many, it is sad, there are many people in certain church circles in denomination that they believe, you know, I've heard this saying before, oh, he's going to heaven because he's been baptized. Yeah, who told you that? There are a lot of people in heaven. There are a lot of people going to heaven now that gave their life to Christ in their last breath that were not baptized. 
Perfect example, I, I'm so grateful. The man on the cross, I was crucified with Jesus. The man said, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus said, he didn't say, well, you know what? I'm sorry, dude, you're not baptized. <laughs> you, know, you know, can somebody come and get a super soaker or something? Just splash some water on this guy. You know, he didn't do that. This day, Jesus said, for this day, you and me, will be in paradise. Now, again, we do it out of obedience. And so when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ, into his death. So the biblical definition of water baptism, um, as it was the practice back then, is a whole body immersion. So it's not really sprinkling or throwing water or getting a super soaker or anything like that. Now, some people get legalistic about that. You know, the main thing is the heart that you identify with the baptism. Because let me tell you, there are Christians in third world countries that don't have the freedom to worship God, to be Christians. We had a missionary from China, if you remember, some time back. He came and he showed some slides. You know, in China, where it's, you can't hear the gospel out there, and they're getting baptized in tubs. Or they got these little kiddie pools that they blow up in, the, in their rooms and they get baptized. That's all that matters, is that you understand but the biblical definition of baptism is the Greek word batiso. Batiso means to dip in, to be immersed. And so these are one of the things that Paul is going to bring as a symbol. So when we are baptized, and it's important for us to be baptized, if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, you know, this is the ordinance that God has given us. The same thing for taking communion. You know, people get all, they have reservations. Well, I don't understand. Or, well, I want to do it like this, you know. And it's crazy because you get some people that have no thought of it or some people will actually avoid it altogether. Then you have churches today and no lie, sad but true. There's a church that has like a theater and what they do is they have no lie. It's a water slide. And at the end of the water slide, boom, they go into the tank. It's funny and it's silly. And it's an abomination. I think so. It's crazy. How can you take that as a joke? You know, I can understand you're happy about it. But a water slide in a church? Really? That's what we've come to. But anyway, Paul is bringing that. And he's saying that this water baptism, this full immersion, when we are baptized, we're baptized into his death. Verse 4, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also shall walk in the newness of life. And so just as Jesus died and was buried in the tomb, you and I, when we gave our life to the Lord, we died. How do we die? When we were baptized. That time when you were baptized, you died to the old self. Your old self is in that watery grave, you see. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of Romans with us here on Running the Race. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today and that you're eager to learn more about Jesus. If you'd like to listen to more messages by Eddie, visit our website at runningtheraceradio.com. There you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? We gather each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
and again on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. Right now, Tracy has some information about how you can be a part of the ministry here at Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see Running the Race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting Running the Race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. There's much more to learn from the Book of Romans on the next edition of Running the Race.